and I immediately tried to change it. <laughs> Don't do that. I had one of those experiences where I was thinking in my head, got way up here, and I thought, Lord, you know, that, first of all, the first half of that, victory, uh, victim or victory, really is not the correct grammar that, that you'd say. My mother was an English teacher, is an English, well, she was, she's retired, she's still with us, but she was an English teacher. And so I hear that, and then the second part was, I thought you sounded really preachy, you know, like you, you. But I had one of those moments, almost distinctly, you know, when distinctly inside of you, not an audible voice, but the Lord said, that's not what I said. And uh, you means mankind, which includes you, me. So, you know, we're going to do exactly what he said, and we're going to leave it exactly the way he said it. So we're going to, that's a good thing. So if you're writing it down, it's victim or victory, and you choose is all caps, and it matters. It matters. So write it down correctly in your notes, and they'll get it right. And right before service, it was funny. I won't name any names, but I got a text. Are you sure that's what you meant the title to be? I said, that's the title, just like it says, just like it says. When you hear something from the Lord, you do exactly what he says. Doesn't matter how weird it is or what we've learned. You do it exactly as he says. So it's going to be good, but um, we've talked over the past few months about choices, and how choices that we make impact uh, what God is able to do on our behalf. We've talked about staying under His protection, and how choices that we make and decisions that we make can get us out of that protection, right? So we've had a lot of talk about choices, but literally every single thing that we hear, um, we are making choices about. You've made choices, probably thousands of choices today, Some of them you were very aware of and some of them you weren't aware of at all because you made them so many times you sort of do it by rote. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But but choices, when you hear something, you think, is it true? Is that right? Is that really what happened? Um, Does that play out correctly? Is what they're saying exactly right? We're making choices whether to believe that constantly. And I go all the way back to school. And literally everything that that we believe... At some point, we have made a choice to believe that fact. We've made enough choices that it's now fact to us. Does that make sense to everybody? And I'm going to go all the way back to elementary school. In kindergarten or first grade, somebody told me, my teachers, that one and one equaled two. I didn't know that at the time. I had no way, but I, but I took the logic, one plus one, if I had one, and now I have another one, I now have two. And I chose to believe that, and it's become fact to me. And I would have a really hard time convincing anybody in this room, I hope, that one plus one does not equal two. Now, I know that they've changed the way you get to it, but the best way to do it is one plus one equals two. That's a fact. We've accepted that as truth, right? (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't have children that have been trying to go through the school system these days. So... But anyway, we're trained from a young age to follow the rules and guidelines we learn, and we choose to make those things facts. Well, it's exactly the same thing with the things of God. We have to make choices. Each one of you started making choices. At some point today, you decided whether you were coming to church tonight, here or in Branson or on the Internet. You made a choice, a decision was made. Now, maybe some of us, we don't debate it. You know what we do on Friday nights? We go to church. We don't even, it's no longer even a process, but you still made a choice to make an effort to get here. And then you got here, then you had to decide how you were going to get here. Were you coming from work? Were you going to go home? Were you going to pick the car up at the 
repair shop on the way to church, like we did, there were decisions to be made, choices to be made. And then we came in here and you had to find a place to sit after you found somewhere to park. Those are decisions. Whether you consciously make them or not, they're decisions. And then we came in and we stood for worship and, and you made a decision whether you were going to join in to worship. Do I believe what these songs say? Am I going to worship the Lord right now? Is this what I'm choosing to do right now? And then we got to offering and, and at offering you, just, you had to make a choice. Do I believe what he's saying? Is the word that Rob, Brother Rob was delivering today true? Is the scripture right? It, does God really want me to be blessed and prospered? Uh, do I choose to join in with the confessions that we make as a church body every week? I'm, uh, you know, all of those things. I'm getting my buildings, my lands, my houses. Uh, some people don't say those because they choose not to believe that. That's a choice. Then you had to choose, am I going to give in the offering tonight? Hopefully you made that choice earlier, but you had to make a choice. Am I going to give tonight? Am I going to give to general? Am I going to give to the parking project? Am I going to give choices, choices, choices? And there will be a thousand more before you do it. You're going to decide whether you like my tie. You're going to decide whether you like the way I talk. Get over it. I've got the microphone for the next little bit. Just get past it. Don't miss the forest for the trees. If you don't like the tie, if you don't like me, listen to the word. Close your eyes. You can still get the word tonight. Amen. But there's choices. And then you're going you're gonna to make choices about what I say, whether it's right or wrong. And you're going to take that a step. I'm going to take it a step further and say you're going to choose on your way home whether you're going to put anything into action that you heard tonight. You're going to make a choice about that, right? Choices. Left and right. Constantly, really, we're making choices. Most of the time, as I mentioned, we make them without even thinking. Choices have become passive to us. Those are passive decisions. I'm going to get up. I don't consciously think, okay, Tom, it's time to get up. Some mornings I do. But most of the time I know it's time. To, I wake up. It's time to get up. It's time to start the day. I've actually found that you can start the day joyfully. You can choose that. Even people who are not morning people. I won't make you raise your hands, but if, you've, if you're not a morning person, change your confession and wake up with the joy of the Lord. It's real simple. You can choose that. But I, but I get up. I, I make choices. We, we eat something. We make a coffee. That's almost not a choice in my house. It's a necessity, but, it, but it's a choice. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to have my few minutes um, in the morning with the Lord and, and get ready and get, do all the things that I need to do. Those, some of those things become so passive, though, that that's not good. It needs to be an active choice. You know, when I got um, uh, saved, it was a choice. It was not a passive choice. How many of you remember when you got saved? Even if you don't remember the date, you know where you were and what happened and, and when, when it, what the occasion was. It was a, not a passive choice. I didn't think, ah, I think I'll get saved today. And that was it. It was a decision that I made. It was a choice that I made to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for my sin and that He lives forever. And because He did and I have a covenant with Him, I'm going to do the same. I'm delivered from the curse. It was a choice and a decision. It was not passive. And I'll take that on to say, um, well, the society that we leave, I'm getting ahead of myself, the society we live in leans towards the belief that we don't actually have choices or that what we choose doesn't matter. You see what I'm, isn't that true? Our society says we don't really have a choice. Um, and that's where victim comes in. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, 
But many have turned from God altogether. And of those believers that have, as we've been talking about recently, come to believe that we don't really have choices about most things in life. The basic things we can choose. God lets us choose what we're going to eat or what we're not going to eat. He lets us choose what we're going to wear to work. He lets us choose these basic things. But when it comes to the really big things, we don't have a choice. And we've been learning that that's not true. It's in the big things that we have to make. It's, it's more critical to make the right choice. Amen? God needs, I, I wrote down this down, God needs, and, he, and in fact, he, he expects our input. And you think, well, that's kind of a strange thing to say, Tom. God doesn't need anything from me. He does. He absolutely does. He not only needs it, he desires that you have input. Because he doesn't... He doesn't just desire that you do what he wants you to do. He wants you to desire and want to do what he has for you to do. So we all know this. Let's go back um, to the Garden of Eden. I I skipped something, though, that was important. Hold on just a second. We'll We'll get back to it. I remember it. So if you go back to the Garden of Eden, and I'm not going to read Genesis through and through, and uh, but you can go check it out for yourself. Why did God create man? Fellowship. He was created by God to fellowship with him, to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. He created him. He set him in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden, perfection. There was no curse. There was no death. There was no dying. Adam didn't have to work till his fingers bled to do things. He got to name the animals. He got to enjoy the plants. Can you imagine what kind of plant life there was? I think we have beautiful plants in Florida, but imagine... This would have been heaven for me. I could spend all day outside in the garden and enjoy that. I like getting my hands in the soil and, and I talk to the Lord out in the garden. So think about how this really was and then, then multiply it 10,000 times because we can't even imagine because we're, we're, what, thousands of years past the curse being here. So we're living with the results of that and everything. So thank God there's still some beauty out there. Amen. But there was no um, curse. There was no death. There was no dying. There were no pitfalls of the curse that we had to deal with. Yet through a chain of man's choices, everything changed. God did not choose to destroy the relationship he had with Adam. God did not choose to remove them from the garden. That was a man's choice. Is that a big thing? Does that sound like man messed up? Did God choose that for him? No, he did not. Choices. We're still talking about choices. And on the thought that all big things are only in God's hands, if God was in total and absolute control and we have no impact on that, then you have to believe that God set Adam and Eve up to fail. You have to believe that. If you believe that you don't have those choices, they didn't have choices that impacted the outcome, then you believe that God set them up to fail. He put them in a situation that they couldn't win to destroy them, to bring the curse into the earth. And that is a lie. That is absolute untruth. The scripture I I wrote down, did he get tired of fellowshipping with Adam? Did he get bored with him? Maybe they had a disagreement. Maybe he didn't like the way Adam cut his hair. Maybe he just wanted to mix things up. No, no, no. The scripture tells us um, in Hebrews 13, 8, he said, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God did not change his mind. Choices. A choice was made that forever changed the perfect plan that God had for mankind. Man's choice. 
He wants us, he, I said he had a distinct purpose and a plan and the choices of man altered his plan. He desired this fellowship. He still does. And he enjoys having his creation with him in this state of perfection. But he wanted them, us, to want to fellowship with him, to be obedient, to be in that state with him, to be that, in that perfect state of creation, not to have to do it. Amen? Choices. So if you believe that this word is true, who would say they believe it? We believe this word is true. It's the word of God. We believe it. Then you cannot believe that everything is in God's hands. You cannot believe that. Many things are in our hands. Um, As I've uh, I've always said, and the staff has heard me say this probably, that I think the most dangerous lies are the ones that are rooted in truth. And by that, I mean, there's just enough truth to make it plausible. You know, it's really not hard to tell when someone's telling you a big old lie, you know, about fighting the bear out in the woods, and I came away without a scratch, but you should see that bear, you know. (laughs) It's it's really easy. Your, Your little lie detector goes up, ding, 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 something's not right in this picture. Either the bear was dead already, or there's a little more to this that I don't know. Maybe there was a gun involved. I don't know. But there's more to the story. Those, aren't the, those are the easy lies to detect. The big ones, the ones that are not plausible. It's the little ones. And the devil is good at little lies. The devil's good at plausibility. It's a big word. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> He's good at it, though. He's good at, at whispering in your ear something that has just enough truth that it just gets in there, that it just settles in your spirit when you don't want it to. That's why we have to guard our hearts. But... Um, so a little bit of the truth in the lie that we don't have any choices, that God is doing it, is that God has a plan for you. He has a big plan. But the rest of the truth is that our choices help to determine whether that gets fulfilled. We have choices. Setting this up, can you tell? What's the key word? Choices. Yes, you and choices. That's right. Um, Did you know that you can know God and never accomplish what he has planned for your life? A lot of people don't believe that. But you can know God, you can be saved person, and you can never accomplish what God has set out for you in your life because of choices that you make. You can go through life as a believer and never fulfill his plan for you. Now, if you believe that everything is in God's hands, you have no choices then why isn't everybody fulfilling their life plan? Why isn't every single person in this room in the perfect will of God and on the perfect path of God and we've never deviated? Don't raise your hands, but I've gotten off the path. I've gotten way off the path a few times in my life. He helps us back. But if I didn't have a choice in it, why would God set me up to fail? It's counter to his character. It's counter to what we know about God. As I said, we're not playing, we're not um, just playthings that God has put in to creation. He didn't, this isn't like a giant chess game to him. He's not setting us up in these situations say, oh, I wonder what's going to happen if I do this to Rob this morning. I'm going to throw this obstacle in his way just to see, just to see what he's going to do with it. And I'm, you know what, I'm going to put, I'm going to put him and somebody else at odds. We're going to let him fight it out. We're just going to let him fight it out. Whatever, whoever wins, wins, you know, survival of the fittest. That is not scripture. That is a theory that was developed specifically to counter the existence of our God. He did not set us up to fail. 
That's not what Eden was about. That's not what our choices are about. He has good plans for us. Amen? Amen. That as believers, He can and He will help us through this life on earth. I believe that's His desire. He created us. He wants us on that right path. But he, the truth is, He's limited by us. We give Him permission to help us or we, or we bar Him and put a barrier up to keep Him from helping us. And it's by choices. Um, he, he already showed us, as I was thinking about this, you know, the Lord made a choice a long time ago that showed us where we stand with him. He made the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, his own son. As a parent, I can tell you that would be a, a very difficult spot to be in. Even if I knew I could save everybody in this whole room and all my family and, and everybody else that I love by sacrificing one child, that would be a challenge. I'm not sure that's surmountable for me. But he did it. And he did it so that you would have a choice besides condem- being condemned and living out a life of condemnation which you can, and separation from God. He made that choice. If he would not withhold that from us, why would he want us off? The, why, why would he set obstacles in our way to keep us from achieving? He's not. He's already said, I'm go- I've given you my greatest gift. I want to help you. But choices. He desires to fellowship with us. He wants us to fellowship with him. But we have to reciprocate that desire through the choices that we make. Choices. He will not force us to do anything. As Brother Keith has said over and over again the last few weeks, if he could force us to do something, he would force us to accept Jesus. And he doesn't do that. I went back, I'm going to go back to that decision that I made about being saved. That wasn't a passive decision because something changed inside of me when that happened. I made a choice. And we're going to talk a little bit more more about that in a few minutes. But now, that was introduction. Our primary, (laughs) I'm not going to keep you late, don't panic. Our primary scriptures that we're going to be looking at tonight are 1 John 5, and I'm going to, out of the NIV, First John 5, verses uh, 1 through, we're going to read through 5. So they'll put that up on the screen for us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is the love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, they're not hard. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Next verse. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Go back to verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith is mentioned here because faith in God and his promises, and, and faith in God and in his promises, is how we overcome. That's a promise of victory. And, is, and, the, and the next verse says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a promise and a qualifier here. There's a, the promise is victory, right? We can be victorious. The qualifier is we believe. And we're going to go back and look at this verse several times tonight. So don't think I'm being repetitive. I am. <laughs> you can think it because I am. Um, uh, Brother Keith has spent some time talking in the scriptures about the belief that many hold that the blessings and benefits 
of a relationship with Christ are in our future, not in our present. We've talked about that quite a bit, right? In other words, yes, we're redeemed. Yes, the curse is not something we have to, we have to deal with, but that's eternity. In the meantime, we have consequences to the curse. And it's true. We live in a natural world, right? We've talked a lot about this. Millions of people believe that there is no deliverance from, what the, from the God of this world. Millions of people believe that. And millions of people in my own family believe it. And, and I'm believing God for the right time to help them with that because we aren't supposed to live under the curse. We've been redeemed from the curse. And that, that contract that was made with us wasn't post-dated. You didn't get saved here. And when you die at 48 or 58 or 68 or 78 or 88 or 108, that's when the contract kicks in. It's not life insurance. It's not just an insurance policy that at the end, it's all going to be okay. Keep pushing on. That's not what the covenant was about, right? This is, this is, I'm going to go back and give you this little testimony of my own life. When I got saved, it changed something inside of me. I made that decision. God and I came together. A covenant is more than one person. Has to be. Otherwise, what does it mean? So that, that's a joining together. So God, God believed, I accepted Jesus, we joined together in a covenant, right? But the truth is that naturally there was a lot about Tom that needed to change. A lot. Temper. I'm not going to name all of them. You don't need to know. I had a temper. <laughs> Sky's offering up some advice over here. See Sky afterwards if you want to know Tom's faults. But no, no. We all had them. There were all natural things. And you know what? I woke up the next morning and I still had some things I had to deal with. And I woke up the next morning after that and I still have some things that I want to deal with. And I've been saved over 35 years and I still wake up and have some things that I need to deal with. You know, the scripture talks in Philippians 2:12 that therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So salvation is not just an act, it's a process. I'm learning something new about the Lord every day. And I hope I never stop learning. And about the time we think we're done, we're going to go to heaven and we're going to realize we didn't know, you know, this much. I know, I'm short, but I can get shorter. I can get lower. I can say... This much, we don't know a fraction of what there is to know about the Lord and about our relationship with Him. But we're working it out day by day. And the second part of that there that, that, that happened, the second process was I made a decision that I desired the Holy Spirit. I had a desire in my heart for the, to be filled and to, be, to have the comforter living inside of me and to have the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That was a desire. And I had to act on that desire. It wasn't passive. I didn't go, hey, you know, that'd be great. That'd be so great to get filled with the Spirit. I had to take that step of faith and receive it and begin to speak. If you're, if you're filled, you know that. You had to take that step of faith. It was active. It's not passive. It doesn't go, whoosh, and it just starts happening. That's not generally how it works. You have to start speaking. And for me, I thought I was speaking in English, but it wasn't English because I took that step of faith and it came out. I've never stopped. 20, 25, 26, 27 years on, I'm still spirit-filled, praise God. But in, but in doing that, it helps us to fulfill that second. God works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his purpose. So if I believe 
that God has set me up to fail. Why did he send me a helper? Because you cannot convince me, and I know many of you are the same way, that the Holy Spirit does not help me every single day. I, ha- I know that I know that I have avoided disaster in my life, that I have avoided uh, things that being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I've been at the right place in the right time to receive blessings. Why is he helping me if, if his intent is for me to just sort of be the spinning top until I fall over and fail? It's not consistent, is it? I can make those choices. He's helping us because we've allowed him to help us. He's wants, his desire is to set you up for success. Failure is not an option with him. If he had a choice, there would be no failure either. Everything he called every one of us to do would happen and be fulfilled according to his plan. But we have to submit to that and we have to make those choices. But I don't believe in uh, serendipity. I don't believe that, that there are just good things floating around in the universe waiting to run into us. I don't believe it. I know there are a lot of people that do, that it's karma. I've, I've sowed good things and now karma's come back and blessed me. There is no karma. That's a made-up thing to account for God's goodness. It's made up. And don't say things like that. Uh, don't say it's good karma. There is no good karma. God is good. That's, what you, that's why I, ran in, I run into things because God has me in the right place at the right time. I receive blessings because I hear his voice and he guides me to the right things. And I avoid trouble and pitfalls because he says, don't go there today. Don't stay there. I know you were supposed to go. I'll give you a good example. We're getting ready to make a road trip to Branson. I told Amy on early this week, we were planning, hoping to leave Friday. Today. That's this morning. And for those of you that don't know what day it is. And I just wasn't, it wasn't settled. It wasn't, it wasn't like I had this fear and anxiety about Friday. I just knew Friday wasn't the day to go. It wasn't, wasn't settled. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit in you saying, don't prepare for that because I've got something else going on that day. Wednesday, I found out why I wasn't settled for me to leave this morning. Was that a big thing? I believe it was. Because I believe if nothing else, I got a lot out of studying this. And I've been helped a lot. And I believe others will be too. Amen? So things don't happen by chance. If our entire role, as I said, was to, to, was to, in this life, was to suffer and just get by, and, oh, Lord, if we can just get to glory, if that was the plan of God, he would not have sent a helper, he would not have sent a comforter, and he would not have given us this word full of promises to help us get through. Amen? Amen. As I said, the original design of the Garden of Eden was, was not to hurt us, but to help us, and it's not God's plan for today. He sent Jesus to make a way to redemption, to help us out of the consequences of sin on this earth. Let's look at our scripture again, 1 John 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory. I'm sorry, I jumped to uh, verse 4. For everyone born... Those little numbers by the little verses are teeny tiny what the glasses should be for if I'd put them on. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Does everyone overcome the world? Is that a promise to everyone? No. Only the one who believes can overcome. Young's literal says, uh, same verse, who is he who is overcoming the world, if not he who is believing in Jesus, the Son of God? This last part of this passage sets you and me apart. 
We're in a class of people that's different from the rest of the world. We aren't the same as everybody on the street because we believe. Because we made a choice to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, this scripture right here tells me that we can overcome the world. And if overcoming the world just means overcoming a life of perfection once we leave here, that's a great thing. But that's guaranteed. There's no death or dying. There's no sickness. When we get to heaven, we're not even going to know what glorious things there are. Those are just the things we know about that are, that are not going to be there, right? So why are, what are we overcoming if it's only getting out of this, only getting that? We're going to get that. That's a guarantee. We're overcoming the world, the world that we live in, as well as the world to come. Praise God. It's a good thing. So I said all that to say this. If you don't believe that you have choices to make and that those choices impact every area of your life, both here and for eternity, then you essentially have chosen to be a victim. Because no choice you make, nothing you can do or say is going to impact the road ahead of you. That's the choice you've made. And that is simply not true. It's not true. Our choices matter. They have impact in our lives today. And I fall on the side to believe that if I'm a victory believer, I believe that these choices not only matter, but they're critical to us living a good life. Amen? Amen. God is good. Very good. So now I'm going to contrast for you a little bit of victim and victory. You ready? I know. I'm excited too. I can see it on your faces. You're going to get the subtitles too, because that helps me. You know how the Bible has little subtitles about every 12th verse? There you go. You're going to get the subtitles too. So this subtitle is The Victim Mentality, and in parentheses, A Favorite Tool of the Enemy. If the enemy can keep your eyes on the problem, then he will keep your eyes off of the Word and God's answers for you. We were not reborn. What did our scripture say? 1 John 5, 4. We were reborn to be victorious. We have been delivered from this world. We are overcomers of this world. So we were not reborn to life as a victim. We were reborn to victory. Right? That's a big statement. That right there is worth coming out for. If you can believe that and grasp hold of that, that scripture, then you can believe that victory is yours and you don't have to have this victim mentality. This made me think of what a gift of God this is. Now, this word is right here. He didn't just go. He left us an instruction manual. Wives, don't say anything. I know men are infamous, notorious, whatever it is, for not reading instruction manuals. I'm almost 50 years old. You young people read instruction manuals. It will save you a lot of heartache. (laughs) Three hours in, it was a 15-minute job. If you'd have read the manual. So, but he left us this instruction book. You could put on the front of this instructions, Life 101 answers. There's everything that we need is in here. What a gift that is. Amen. But society today, the world we live in says, says, uh, the victim is, is the way to go. And, and I don't think this is any truer than it has been in the last few years, any more true than it has been in the last few years. Society says we're all victims, victims, victims everywhere. I mean, victims here, victims there, victims, victims everywhere. It's popular. It's the popular thing these days to be a victim. Our culture has been geared towards it. And take a look around at the news. Um, I put on here, when I was a kid, 
and when most of when most of us were growing up, our heroes were people that accomplished something. They were sports people that against odds set records, that worked hard to accomplish what they had to do. They were uh, talented musicians and, and people that had, had some substance to what they were doing. There was a substance to our heroes. Well, our heroes today are victims. The heroes that are set out to our children are victims. I'm not going to name names. You'll all know some of these, but you look at people that are set up to our children or as, ex- or as examples, there's people that have, because inappropriate photos made it to the internet, they have 30 million Twitter followers. They're setting style guidelines for your little girls because they were a victim. There's no, there wasn't any substance. They didn't do anything wonderful. As a matter of fact, they did something pretty awful. And the media and the world celebrated them for it because they were a victim. They didn't make any choices that put them in that position except be inappropriate in front of a camera. Look around. There's others. Major people, major stars die of drug overdoses every day. What do we focus on every day, regularly? We focus on the people that sold them the drugs, not the choice that they made to take them. And I'm not knocking addiction. It's real. It's out there. But at some point, there was a choice made. And I'm not, I'm not, a for, drug, I'm not for drug dealers either. <laughs> but the point is, someone made a choice that led to a, their death, their, their complete demise. And it wasn't the latest drug dealer's fault. Did they contribute? Absolutely. But there were probably hundreds of drug dealers that have contributed to that over the years. The choice continued. At some point it started and it continued. But these are people that are set up to be heroes in our life today. Their only accomplishment is not not overcoming. Being set up as a victim. There are others that are put out on... I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news, folks. An affair that I had didn't go exactly the way I wanted didn't come out the way I wanted it to, so I'm a victim and he's the bad guy or she's the bad guy. You can't name names because that's happening everywhere. It's all over. I'm I'm not making light of what happens to people, but I don't believe that those are the people that should be elevated to the point of examples in our lives. Right? But, but that's what the that's what's going on around us. We live in a society that has made victims into heroes. Right? The devil's not a fool. If he can make you a victim, there's no personal accountability in your life for what happens to you. If you're a victim and your eyes are on the problem and that's all you see, it's not your fault. It's one of those truths that has a little bit of a lie in it. I mean, one of those lies that has a little bit of the truth in it. I said that backwards. Enough to bite into it. uh, Victims say, I don't have any choice. I'm the victim in every situation. Nothing I could have done would have changed the outcome. This plays out over and over, and it's a lie. I can change the outcome. I can make a choice that can change the outcome, even when it's not my fault. I can make choices that can change the outcome for everybody involved. Amen? As soon as you receive the label victim from the enemy, and it's a decision, you're going to receive it. It's a choice. I'm going to be a victim. You may not like it, but it's a choice that you're choosing. 
you can't, um, you, you've made a choice not to walk in victory because the mindset of victim and the mindset of victory are complete opposites. We're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to give you an example. I thought this was, as I was, as I was getting it, as I was sitting there writing it out, I thought, this is really good, Lord. He's so smart. He's way smarter than us. Can you know that? <laughs> I choose to believe that because it's true. And, but there's two people walking on a road. And they're walking along, just walking on their path. And all of a sudden, they come out of a cloud, and there's a mountain right in the middle of the road. Boom. Have you ever had a mountain just appear? I know. You think, you know, I should see that from a distance. But something else, everything else is going on. The clouds are low. Circumstances of life are are impacting us. And all of a sudden, you find yourself at a mountain. Boom. Big mountain. And I'm not talking about, you know, a little molehill. I'm talking about a mountain that you're standing there, and this mountain is tall. It's so tall that you can't see the top of it because the clouds are there. It just goes on and on, it seems. And it's wide. No matter which direction you, you look, I can't see around this mountain. It's a big mountain that they've run into. Amen? Well, the first person immediately comes up to the mountain, stops and says, Big mountain. Can you believe how big this mountain is? That's a big mountain God put in my way. God must have done this, but it's so big, I, I don't see a way over it. It's so big, I can't see a way around it. Just standing there, looking up at the mountain. This must be where it comes to an end. I don't see a road. The road ends right here at this mountain. Who knew this is how my life was going to end? Who knew I was going to stop at this mountain? Because I don't. it's insurmountable. I don't see a way around this mountain. Now, there's another person there, right? That, that first person, by the way... Sorry, I messed up my notes here. Um, that, that's a perfect example of a victim mentality. There's a knowing and an acceptance of the belief that this mountain is too big and I can't overcome it. And it was quickly reached. I, I say he opened up his mouth immediately. Look how big this mountain is. Do you see this mountain? Do you, have you ever seen a bigger mountain? We laugh, but guys, people do this all the time. We've done it. That's a victim mentality. You've accepted and you have a knowing. Just like you have a knowing that something is true or something good from God, you can have a knowing from the enemy that this is just can't change. This is too big for God. He's done it this time. He knows I'm tired. God, I've, I've done battle after battle this week and I, this is just a mountain that I can't overcome. Victim mentality. Well, the second person takes a step back, chooses not to speak, and he takes a couple of steps back from that mountain. You know, I didn't see this one coming, but, you know, looks like a mountain. I know a lot about mountains. There's got to be a way around it, or a way over it, or a way through it. But I can overcome this. I know that on the other side of this mountain, now I can't see it, but I know that I've got a road on the other side of this mountain. My road doesn't stop here. And he just throws his hands up and says, Lord, you see this mountain. What do we do? 
Am I going around it, over it, or through it? Because I'm not staying here. I know that there's something on the other side of this. And I know you have better for me than my journey coming to a halt right here. And I may be tired and I may be worn, but you have an answer. That's a victory mentality. This is just a bump in the road. I'm going on. I know this mountain was not meant to stop me and I will overcome it and stay on my path. Which one of those two is going to survive? There are millions of people sitting at the foot of a mountain that they have come to believe is insurmountable. They have the same promises. This Bible is just as true for them. But they didn't go to the Word. They didn't go to the Lord and say, Lord, what next? How do we do this? What's your plan? Up, over, around, do I start digging through it? What is it going to be? If it's a tunnel or a train or whatever it takes, I'm getting through this. That's a victim, that's a victor, victory mentality. And there's a big difference. I want to, sh- I want to just give you a little, give a quick lesson here. Rob, I need some tall guys. Rob, David, I need Dan. Just come over here and I want you to face that direction. I want you to make a wall right here. So face away from me. David, come over, come on, David Robinson, come over here. Right, shoulder to shoulder. Just shoulder to shoulder. Just butt up as tight as you can. It's okay. You can touch each other. It's a good thing. Come on up, Jackie. You too. Jackie, come on up. You too. Some other guys, come on up. Come on. You? Yes, both of you. Come on. Both of you. Come on. Now get in tight. Shoulder to shoulder. You're going to have to touch a little bit. It's okay, guys. And now for, for sake of this, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be where's who's a, where's one of my Ruth. Come here, Ruth. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I know I'm taking a minute, but Ruth, come right here and I want you to stand right here behind David. Now when Ruth, when you're standing there, does that wall seem really wide? Does it seem really tall? I want you to take about three steps back. Does that wall seem smaller? A little bit? Take a few more steps back. I'm walking with you. Take, looking a little bit smaller? Let's take, don't, don't run in the pulpit. Let's go way over here. Us short people got to hang together. It's all right. Now it looks... Quite a lot smaller, doesn't it? Yeah, you guys can sit down. Thank you. The lesson in that, the lesson in that that I want you to see is one, one very simple word. It's the same thing the two people walking up to the mountain saw differently. Perspective, perspective, perspective. When you are facing it and it's right here, my hand is, I don't have big hands. My hand looks really big to me when I put it right here. I have to move to see around it. Just this far. It blocks part of a face. It doesn't even block anybody out. Up here, a third of you are gone. Out here, what changed? Perspective. Victims panic when they see this. Victorious people, people that live in victory, step back and realize that this isn't so big. 
It may still seem a little bit big. It still seemed a little big here, and it seemed a little big here. But the further you get back and the more you look to him, and you're not looking at that, perspective. Many of us have stopped our journeys because we refuse to change our perspective. Years ago, I heard somebody giving an example on this in a business training of of a little child getting on a packed elevator. Little bitty kid full of an elevator of, of adults. That's kind of a scary thought when you get pushed into a corner. And everybody's not just a little taller than you, a bit taller than you. But when daddy picks you up and puts you on his hip or sets you up on his shoulder, what seem like giants are really not that big of people. They're about the size of daddy. They're about the size of mom. But the perspective changed. Folks, we've got to change our perspective from victim to victory. It's just a change in perspective. Amen? Amen. The enemy is a liar. There is no problem too big for God. There is not a single thing that you're going to face. I don't care if you got saved yesterday. I don't care if you got saved two weeks ago. I don't care if you got saved 20 years ago. There's not a single thing that you're going to face that is too big for God. I, I thought about David. Now, David in the Bible, King David, he faced a lot of situations most of us will never deal with. Most of us. I mean, I'm not going to say never, but, you know, if you live in Alaska, you might run into bears from time to time. But David, David fought lions and bears. He fought giants. He had someone mount an assault on his own life. A big someone, by the way, with a big army. That's unlikely to happen to any of us individually in this country at this time. But David, what did David do every time? Let's look at it. I gave this to screen so we can go through these quickly. You don't need to turn to them. Psalms 3, 3 through 4. They'll put them up for us here. But you are a shield about me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift my head. Verse 4. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. Psalms 5, 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Hear me. Hear me, he's calling out to the Lord. Seven, one, uh, listen to my cry for help. For King and my, my King and my God, for you, for to you I pray. Psalm 7, 1. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Psalms 25, verse 1. Don't they do a good job up there? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. And verse 3, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will, they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. That's standing on promises. That's a victory approach. Go on. Psalms 40, verse 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Psalms 46.1 God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Do these sound like good confessions? And verse 2 there, uh, Therefore I, we will not fear, though the, Lord give, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Uh, Psalm 62 verse 1 My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Verse 2. Oh, I jumped. Psalms 121. That's fine. Psalms 121, verse 1. Can you go back to verse 1? 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. How many of you have heard this scripture? From where does my help come? He knew where his help came from. And he called out to it. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight scriptures in the course of just a few minutes flipping through Psalms. I didn't have to hunt for them. David is a great example of a victor. He was a victory-minded person. And he, every time, in the, I, mean, I know he made mistakes. I'm not saying he was perfect. You're not either. I'm not either. But every time he got into a situation, even when he made mistakes, what did he do? Went back. Changed his perspective to a victory stance. Amen? That's good, isn't it? Okay, this, le- this, this, this next section is called Ears, Eyes, or God's Promises. Victims rely heavily on what they hear, see, and feel. They don't see and refuse to look beyond the present circumstance and get stuck in the question, why me? You ever heard that? I won't ask if you've ever said it. Why me? Rather than look to the word of God for answers, they're quick to run to other people. When something happens in their life, they go and they find their their friend. I'm not even going to say prayer buddy because it's not a prayer partner that does this with you. It's not a faith buddy that you can go over and say, oh, this is, why is this happening to me? And what you want is for somebody to pat you on the back and say, it's all right. It's going to be okay. You know, God's in control. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. Even the comforting doesn't sound victorious. But we do it, and it has nothing to do but feeding our flesh and our feelings because you want someone to feel sorry for you. That is not a victory viewpoint. That's not a victory stance, right? Now, I am not knocking a good prayer partner, a good faith buddy that comes and you say, this is happening, and they say, what does God say about that? God says you're healed. God says you're whole. God says you are in your right mind. God says, God says... Sometimes you have to turn people around. They might come to you in a victim stance and you have to get them into a victory stance. What are you doing? Quit feeling sorry for yourself. You can speak the truth in love. We all know these people. We've all got them in our lives that you see them coming and you want to go, "Uh." oh, is that my phone? Excuse me. That's wrong too. It's wrong. It's wrong to avoid them because somebody needs to speak the truth to them in love. What does the scripture say? Where is it? In Ephesians 4.15, NIV. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Victims look for someone to agree with them. You're going to hear a whole lot of, of I put on here, uh, let's see. I believe God's word says I'm healed, but I don't feel healed. So I must not be healed. I believe God's word says I'm prospered, but I don't feel very prospered today, and I'm just not going to pay my bills. We laugh, but people give in. I know God's word says this, but... Indicating you're some kind of a grand exception to what God's promises are. Doesn't that make you feel important? No! I'm being silly, but you get the point. You're not, those promises are for every person. You either believe them or you don't. It's either truth or it's not. 
I believe God's word says I'm an overcomer, but I just don't got it in me today to overcome. And then this last one I put on here, and I know this is ludicrous, but it's ex- those are exactly the same thing as saying, you know, I woke up this morning feeling single. I've been married 25 years, but I don't feel married today. Wait a minute. Do you have a covenant with this person? Does your feeling change that covenant? It doesn't change God either. Your feeling of not feeling healed or blessed or prospered does not change who God is and who God should be to you. Feelings are deceptive. Your eyes are unreliable. Do you know you can have six witnesses to the same car accident and every one of them saw something different? Did they see what they saw? Absolutely. There were different perspectives involved. Back to that word. (laughs) Oh, well, let's move on to some characteristics of a victory believer because we're going to recognize ourselves more there, right? That's where we're going to see ourselves. When a victory believer sees a problem, his his mind moves immediately to a solution. What did the second guy do? Backed up and looked up. He wasn't looking for, for to, to define the problem more clearly. Let me analyze this a little bit more. Look, if you're not healed, you're not healed. If you're not prospered and you can't pay your bills, you can't pay your bills. You don't need to focus on that. You're focusing and writing down numbers and creating columns of what you don't have in health and wealth or whatever it is doesn't help you get health and wealth and anything else. Look into the Word. Look into the Lord. He's the one that has the answers. Quit looking to your Excel spreadsheets. Writing down. And I'm not saying don't be aware. I'm not saying deny. Cancer is real. Things in your body happen that are real. I'm not saying deny it. That's not truth either. But you can't focus on it. You're not the victim mentality. That's not who you are. That's not who we're created to be. Amen? So so victory says, I'm going to the Word of God. What does Word say about this situation? Where's my scripture? We should have heard that many times around here. That's a Keith Moore specialty. Where's your scripture? We use that a lot with people. If, you're gonna, if you want to get some prayer, you better have some word to stand on when you call here. Because if not, you're going to have some. Because this is the answer. Nobody that answers the phone at the end of a prayer line has any answers that are better than right here. And I'm not saying don't call and ask people to get believers to hook with you. That's a good thing. But, but go to this. The, word is, the answer is in here. Your word to stand on is in here. Nobody can give you that like God can. Amen? Victory says, yes, I'm going to the Word. Where's my scripture? The victorious believer does not look to listening ears. I'm not looking for somebody to listen to. I'm not looking to people who really don't see. Blinded eyes. He looks to the Word. What promise am I standing on? That Word is full of promises. Not one thing that you will face in your life is not covered in that Bible. Addictions, deliverance, depression, family... Fear, finances, jobs, forgiveness, guidance, health, the Holy Spirit, marriage, salvation, deliverance, strength. It's all in there. We live in a Google generation, folks. You can Google addiction scriptures and you will get addiction scriptures to come. Now, don't replace, don't let that replace study in the Word of God. But when you have a moment, when you're having a mountain moment and that mountain looks big, 
reading some scriptures is going to help you get your eyes on the right thing. So I say use any resource you can get your hands on to get addiction scriptures, to get finance scriptures, to get healing scriptures. It's not a last resort, it's the first resort. It's where we should be looking right away. That's where our eyes go. Victory people look for solutions. For the solution. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. Victory people are stubborn. I'm stubborn. I'd say I'm proud of it, but I'm not proud of it. I'm well pleased about it. There are things that it's okay to be stubborn about, guys. I don't care what I see or feel. I know what God's Word says. I don't care. Your uh, victory says, Lord, I need you. Help me see the truth in this situation. Give me the strength I need and the eyes to see in the word where my answer is. Victory says, no, no, no. That is not what my God says. That is not what's going to happen to me. Not me. Not today. My faith says. My God says. My God says it doesn't end at this mountain. My God said, I can get to the other side. And you won't hear, you know what? We won't hear anything else but that. Nope, don't say that to me. I love you, but I don't want to hear that today. All I want to hear is that that mountain can be overcome. That mountain is not insurmountable. I don't care what the devil says. The devil is a liar. God's word is true. Period. That's a victory. (laughs) I'm going to stand there and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not going to say, why me? I'm going to say, what's next, God? It doesn't end here. You haven't brought me here for this to take me out. I don't care how big it is. You have to have that viewpoint. Maybe it's cancer in your life. Maybe it's finances. God, nothing is too big for him. You can go from bankruptcy to blessing and more prosperity than you know what to do about that fast. Change your perspective. Change what you're saying and change what you're looking at. Glory to God. That's what victorious people do. Let's move to the last scripture. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You know, I practice these things, not like in front of a mirror. I don't do that. But I do read through them and try and, you know, acquaint yourself with it. And I always think I'm never going to have enough. It's never going to be long enough. I'm going to quit it at 8.35 and I'm going to get, you know, that that's not quite long enough. But never seem to have a problem. My wife is not surprised that I can talk for a long time. All right. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, those two, that last statement there, created to be like God, is counter to victim thinking. You cannot be like God and be a victim. He was not a victim. God is not a victim. You say, oh, Jesus was a victim. Look, did you see what he did? No, no, no. Jesus did everything he did willingly. Did he have feelings and emotions about it? Apparently he did. Because he said, Father, if there's another way. But he didn't run from it. And God didn't have, they didn't have to chase him down. He stood there and waited for them to come and take him. And he willingly took everything that he did. God is not a victim. He is not a victim in any way or form. Now, uh, Young's literal, uh, verse 23, I believe. 
uses the words renewed in the spirit of your mind. We have the power. It is possible to move from victim mentality to victory mentality because we've talked through tonight some things about being a victim. If we renew our minds through the spirit, that means that our spirit has the power to change this. That's how you move from one to the other. You renew your minds. The scripture says you were taught. And (laughs) there's a... I'll get into that in just a second. We can move from a place of I can't, I can't, to God can, just by making a change in our perspective and choosing to believe His promises are true. Choose to believe God's Word is true and and receive the revelation that it does not change. You know, I, I, we deal with contracts from time to time and various ones on the staff help us read those contracts. And sometimes within a week, they can send you a revision. Oh, we've made, the lawyers have looked at this. We need you to sign this. They've made a change. There's going to be a little difference in this. We've sold the company. You're going to have to sign it. You know, contracts change in the world all the time. That covenant that Christ, that God made with us through Christ was put in an envelope and sealed. And when it is opened at the end of eternity, which is, when we, or when we reach eternity, that contract hasn't changed. Not one word, not one thing, not one drop of blood that it was sealed with is different. He hasn't changed his mind about what he said. He hasn't changed his mind about what he did. So why should we change our mind? If God doesn't change, we just read that in the scripture, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, And in Psalms 119.87, it says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now, God God is settled that his word is true. He is not wavering, wondering, I wonder if I shouldn't have put that in there. No, it's settled. The scripture says in heaven, in the New Testament, we hear that it's settled on earth too. His word is firm and it is true. And if you can get that revelation alone will change your life. If you can come to the understanding and the revelation that God's word is true and it doesn't change, then it makes those promises so real and so good and so rich. And it makes it easier to stand on them because it's not a foundation that's wavering, that's crumbling, that's changing. And, and you're you know kind of shaky every time you stand on something. When you stand on this word, it is a solid foundation. It is settled. There's no settling cracks in the foundation. Nothing has changed since that foundation was established except you. Are you standing on it? Am I standing on it? You collective, remember, my little correction from (laughs) all of us. We have to stand on it. I just named a lot of promises from the word a few minutes ago that covers all those needs. What did I? I got excited in there somewhere about that. Addictions, deliverance, depression. If I handed out some papers in here, many of you could write down, I don't know, real quick, probably 10, 20, 30 promises. Maybe if I gave you a little bit of time, a few of us could get to a few more. There are thousands of promises in here. Thousands. And just when you think, if you went through and started at the beginning and went to the end and counted them all and wrote them down, you'd start over and find many that you missed. There's thousands of promises in there for us to stand on. Thousands that are contained in that book. Amen? And we can receive and we can act on every one of them with confidence. The confidence in knowing that it's true, that it hasn't changed, and that it's for me. 
That is how you get from one thing to another. That's how you move from being a victim and staying in that victim mentality to moving over to victory, to knowing that you know that you know that what God said is true and I'm not wavering in it. He hadn't changed. I'm not changing. We're looking to Him, right? The Scripture says as the author and finisher of our faith, He has a desire that you finish. He has a plan for me. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. Nothing, no mountain the devil throws in my way. Nothing that comes up is going to convince me that there's not something on the other side of it that God has for me. Something. Because that second person on the road with me is God himself. And I'm going to keep him there. And I'm going to finish. That was a big statement, but I'm going to finish. Hallelujah. Let's see. <laughs> I kind of got excited there and jumped around. Uh, let's see. Victims will leave this world early. They're easily deceived by the enemy and they never live in the fullness of God for our life here on this earth. Our scripture, 1-5, overcomers, is for here also. We've said that, right? It's not just for then, it's for now. From the time you were saved to the time Jesus became your Lord, you were destined for victory. That's what our scripture, remember our core scripture? 1 John 5, what did it say? We keep going back to it for a reason. 1 John 5, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes. That's us. That's us-ins. If you're from the south somewhere. We-ins. I like that one too. That's a good one too. That's us-ins and we-ins. All right. Oh, and then this one. Well, I was reading through this this afternoon. We, I thought, this is really good, because I felt like the Lord said this to me, victorious people celebrate victory. And I thought, that's a really good thing. We do that every week in our testimonies. We're celebrating victories. When I was a kid, we, we had a program in our church, and the name of it didn't stick with me very well, apparently, but it has been a while. But, you know, it was kind of like a scouting thing. Back then, we had, the girls had a program and the boys had a program, because girls and boys are different. That's all I'm going to say about that. They were different, different focuses, different things that we did to earn badges, and it was a good thing, still is. But we learned those, we had, they had like sashes, you know, is that what they call them, is that the right word? And then you had a scarf with a little tie thing on it, you know, man, when you got made up at camp, you were awesome. And you wanted to have badges on that sash. I mean, you wanted a lot of badges. Well, those are vic- I looked at those and I thought, those were like victory badges. You conquered something to get a badge. You overcame something. You had to do it. There was a set criteria, man, and you had to check off every one of those and had to have two leader signatures saying that you, in fact, did those things, plus your parents. And back then, parents didn't lie for you. My mother never signed and my dad never signed something and said I did something I did not do. So we had to earn those things. Well, you know, when you got a lot of badges, what happened? You did the, I think you did the front first, and then it went to the back. And then if you got too many for your sash, you didn't get another sash. I don't know why you didn't get another sash. But you didn't get another sash. You had to start putting them on your scarf thing on the back. Well, you know what? I'm, I, I think that Christians should have so many victories that your sash is full, front and back maybe, and your scarf is covered in badges, and you're just chunking them into a bag that you put a backpack on because victory after victory, victory after victory. Oh, there's another one. Look, do you see all my badges? Do you see all my badges? That's not pride. I'm not talking about being prideful. I'm talking about being excited and giving glory to God for the victories in your life. 
Because when you move from victim to victory, you're going to have successes. You're going to stop the me mentality. You're going to stop the woe is me, why me? And you're going to move to look what God has done for me. Look what happened. All I did, all I did, and I say that on purpose because it isn't hard. The devil wants to make you think it's hard. All I did was find my promise and I believed that it was true and I came to a place of understanding that God believed it was true when he said it and he meant it for me and it has changed my mentality. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. It'll take some discipline to undo some things. It's a lot harder to unlearn something than it is to learn something new. That's why uh, a lot of times people coming out of certain denominations have a struggle with, with understanding because the scriptures that, that you're hearing today are, were, were presented completely differently and the truths in those were presented differently to you, right? So you have to undo a little bit of that thinking. You've got to get in there and do some rearranging and think, make choices... Is that true or is this true? Is the word of God true? That, is it, can we take it for what it says or is it too deep of a mystery for us to understand? You can take it for what it says. We can undo that. We, we, what we have heard and accepted is harder to change and undo than learning something completely new. You have to stop yourself sometimes mid-thought and you have to say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. That's counter to what God's word says. We all do it. I still do it. You, 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 you're sitting there and something comes up and you, and you start going down the worry lane instead of the victory lane, the victim. Another bill, man. I, I, didn't we just put 1500 in the car last month and another $700? What is, what is, I thought we had a good car. I thought this was going on. No. Instead of saying, well, Lord, we got a bill. You, isn't a surprise to you? You gave me this car. It's a blessing. We got to keep it running. I'm looking to you. Help me out. Show me what to do. Totally different. Totally different. And then, don't be surprised when he, when, he, when he pays for it. Don't be surprised when he pays the bill and don't be surprised when he pays for the car because you know what you're going to do? You're going to take your little victory badge and you're going to walk over there and you're going to go, hey, how many, how many we got in there now? Can you hear him bouncing around? That's right. Because we are victory people. Glory to God. And when you get in the middle of those situations and you say, no, 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 that's not right. That's counter to what God said. Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. What is Brother, Brother Moore just talked about this? Just like that. You're back into fellowship. You're back under that protective cover. Just like that. And it, not only does he bring you back into fellowship and back under the cover, but he doesn't even remember that you did it. Man, I wish I had that power in my... <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice sometimes? Just to go, oh, I forgot they did that. Well, we can, we're supposed to be striving to be more like him, so we must have some ability to learn in those areas. Amen? But the, but the, the scripture says, and I'm just going to read these, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us to righteousness. Numbers 14, 8 says, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and, for, and forgiveness. He's quick to forgive. All we have to do is change course, just like that. Set yourself on a course to be a doer of the word. You cannot stand on promises you don't know. If you don't spend time in this word, Google, as I said, is a great tool. It does not substitute spending time with God. It's a great opening the door to a scripture. You can find something to stand on quick, but get in there and study it out. You're going to have to spend some time with them. You cannot stand on promises that you don't know. Spend time in the word. Spend time fellowshipping with the Lord. He is faithful to help us. There's a scripture that says everyone that runs to him makes it. 
It's one of my favorite scriptures because the visual of that is powerful. Everyone that runs to him makes it. There's not a loser. There's not a person that stumbles along the way. Everyone that runs to him makes it. Isn't that great? That's a good promise to stand on right there. And my closing scripture is 1 John 5, 19 and 20. It says, We know that we are children of God, as NIV also. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And we could put but, but we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true even in His Son, Christ Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. If that isn't victory, I don't know what is. Amen? Well, stand up with me and we're going to say this confession real quick. Say this with me. I'm a victory believer. I have been delivered from the curse. I am not a victim. I am blood bought. I am blood washed. I am forgiven. I am healed. I am prospered. I am a child of God. And I am a victory believer. Glory to God. Did you get anything?